0: Hello and welcome back to Season 6 of the Everyday Christian Podcast. I'm your host, Chase Green. This is a podcast where we remind ourselves that God deserves every praise from every creature every day. This is a podcast with the Scattered Abroad Network. Of course, as always, go and check out the various podcasts that we have to offer at scatteredabroad.org. We've been studying the book of 1 John most of this season. And last week we covered 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. This week we're looking at 1 John chapter 4, verses 12 through 21. So far in this chapter, we have discussed being careful to properly determine if something is of the spirit of truth versus the spirit of error. Also, we have covered that Christians are the children of God and we are not to be of this world. And also, the importance of love has been shown in this chapter as it has uh, throughout this book of 1 John. And we'll continue to see that concept uh, in the rest of chapter 4 here. So we're picking up in verse number 12. Again, we're going to look at the fact that we can see God living in us through our love. Also, John is going to further expound on love itself. And then uh, we're going to also look at how uh, to find an imposter to the faith. And again, that's going to, to deal with the subject of love. So let's begin with verses 12 through 16, seeing God live in us through our love. Verse number 12 says, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. You hearken back To uh, when God showed himself to Moses, that account is found in Exodus chapter 33. I'd like to turn back and read that. Exodus chapter 33, we want to look at verses 17 and following. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. And he said, please show me your glory. Then he said, God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock, so it shall be while my glory passes by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So Moses wanted to see God's glory. God explains to Moses that no man can see God's face and live So no man can see the full glory of God and and live, but God told him that he would place him in the cleft of the rock and would cover Moses with his hand, and as he passed by, he would take away his hand and let Moses see his back, but he wouldn't let Moses see him face to face. I've always found this passage very interesting, fascinating, really, and uh, God is too glorious for mere mortal man to see. And live. And that's the idea that is taught there in Exodus chapter 33. And so, John here in 1 John chapter 4 says that no man has seen God at any time. Certainly, we have not seen God in his full glory, in his face to face glory. But we did get to see, and when I say we here, I mean humanity, humanity did get to see the Son of God, Jesus, the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He came. And so man got to behold his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And John mentions that in John 1, verse 14. What does that verse also say? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So again, the Gnostics, they don't believe that. And John has to deal with that in this epistle of 1 John. So essentially, John says that there's another way to, in a sense, see God, and that is that we can see God living inside a faithful Christian's life. Now, how do we see that? Well, by our love. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. Did not Jesus say that they will know that we are Christians by our love? He did in John 13, verse 35. Let's look at verse number 13. By this, we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit, so we abide in him, and he abides in us, He has given us of his spirit first uh, Corinthians twelve verse fifteen says, "For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into." one spirit. Ephesians 1 verses 13 and 14 mentions uh, being sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So we can know that uh, we abide with God, and I'm thankful uh, for that. Verse number 14, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world and why is this important in context again because john is dealing with the gnostic heresy who again did not believe that jesus came in the flesh jesus did come in the flesh again john 1 verse 14 and he and the other apostles as well as other disciples of christ were direct witnesses to that fact and so they had seen him they had testified to it and he is the savior of the world. If you look back at the first chap- chapter here in 1 John, you remember that John talks about how they had heard him, they had seen him, they had looked upon him, and even their hands had handled the word of life, Jesus Christ. I'm reminded of the end of the Gospel of John. I think it's the second to last chapter, or maybe the last chapter. It talks about how Thomas didn't want to believe at first until he had the evidence, and so then he he handles Jesus. He sees the the uh, imprint of the nails and and what have you, and and the the imprint of the spear in his side. And then he says, my Lord and my God. So we need to make sure and understand that absolutely those apostles saw the resurrected Christ. They knew that Christ in the flesh uh, not only came and lived for us, but of course, he died for us. And then he rose again. These are crucial, crucial facts uh, of the gospel. So we need to make sure and not miss this when when we see this subtle continued confrontation of the the Gnostic heresy here in verse 14. Verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he is uh, he in God. So what about those who do not confess that Jesus is the son of God like the Gnostics? Well, God does not abide in them and they don't abide in God. In other words, they are Lost now, many of the Gnostics started out, I believe, as Christians, and so they were saved, but then they end up leaving the faith and they turn toward Gnosticism instead of Christianity, and so they were lost. so I believe that this is uh when you read between the lines uh, evidence that once saved always saved is false now uh it says that uh Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God, we must affirm that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came in the flesh and lived and died for the sins of the world. Again, these are crucial facts uh, of the gospel, and we have to believe them. We have to confess them. Verse number 16, and we have known and believed the love that God has for us, God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. I like how he puts this here, knowing and believing the love that God has for us. Isn't that a good way to describe Christianity? We are people who truly know and believe the love that God has for us, so we respond by loving him and obeying him. We also respond in abiding in love for others, as he says at the end of the verse here. Verses 17 through 19, we're going to have some further comments about love. Verse 17 says, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Now, I love this because it shows that the more and more that we love God, the more bold in the faith we become, and the more, therefore, heaven will be our expectation. You know, we don't have to worry. We don't have to say, well, I, I hope I make it. I hope I'm good enough. If we're saying things like that, we've totally missed the point of the gospel because we're not good enough. We don't deserve what Jesus did for us. Now, uh, there are things in God's word that we're told to believe and obey. And if we do it, then then uh, we're gifted salvation. But that doesn't mean that we earn it. So, We need to ask ourselves these questions. Do we love God? Have we obeyed his gospel? Have we obeyed the plan of salvation? Have we become Christians uh, in hearing the gospel and believing in Christ and repenting of our sins and confessing faith in Christ and been baptized into Christ? Not only that, but are we living faithfully? Have we not fallen away? And then uh, upon answering those questions, hopefully correctly, hopefully we are doing those things, then we can know that... uh, we're of the saved, and we can know where we're headed as Christians. We need to be bold, and we need to be confident in this. We need to be confident in our salvation. As he is, so are we in this world, John writes. And uh, we need to ask ourselves, is Jesus alive today? Of course he is. Uh, he is the resurrection and the life. Sometimes we sing, Jesus is well and alive today. He makes his home in my heart, et cetera. blue skies and rainbows. Well, we also can be spiritually alive with Christ as well. Verse number 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. I love this verse as well. There's a phenomenon here that John explains, and I'll try to do my best to put it into my own words, but basically... What John is acknowledging here is the fact that most of us realize that a big motivator in our Christianity is fear. Uh, certainly fear is kind of like the, uh, the front door that leads us towards the, the repentance and, and conversion that uh, should take place, right? Um, we are to, you know, Jude mentions pulling, p- pulling people out of the fire. In in our preaching, and we need to be able to pull people out of the fire and and use fear uh, that way to motivate people. And we uh, certainly are to fear God and keep His commandments, Ecclesiastes twelve verse thirteen. And I'm reminded in Hebrews that our God is a consuming fire. I think that's Hebrews chapter ten, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, God is a consuming fire, so we have to fear that. We have to understand the omnipotent power that He has uh, to control the the destination of our souls. But I think that uh, thinking about fearing, fearing being condemned to hellfire certainly should be one of the first things that motivates us uh, to become Christians because we don't want to go there. But as we grow as Christians, what happens? You see, we're still aware of the fact and motivated by the fact that hell exists, and we don't want to go there. And there's plenty of verses that we should be very familiar with that talk about hell, and we need sermons on hell, and we need to, uh, you know, the hellfire and brimstone. We need that from time to time. I think about the smoke of their torment rises forever. I think it's, uh, I think it's in Revelation that talks about that, and uh, many other verses that describe hell in in horrific detail, and we need to read those and be familiar with them and fear those things and and not want to go there. But at the same time, the more and more that we grow as Christians, yes, we still have that in the back of our minds that, hey, hell is a real place and I don't want to go there. But as we grow, we tend to become more motivated by our love for God more and more, So that eventually perfect love cast out fear in the sense that, hey, I know I love God. I know I'm living my life to the best of the ability, the way that I'm supposed to. I know that I'm walking in the light when I do sin from time to time. I know, hey, I'm going to acknowledge that. I'm going to repent of it and I'm going to get back on the horse, so to speak. I'm going to keep going. I'm trying to live as a faithful Christian. And so that love motivates us to conform our lives more and more as we grow. Uh, to the pattern of of Christ and his word. And so, yeah, we we don't forget that hell exists. We're still, still fully aware of that, and we fear it. We determine ourselves not to go there. But the more and more that we grow as Christians, the more we want to be like Christ, the more we love him and want to do what he told us to do. And so the primary motivator switches from that fear in the initial stage the primary motivator becomes more about the love that we have for God. And, you know, I think about this in relationship with, with uh, parents and children. You know, hopefully, uh, if, if we're listening to this and we're parents, Christian parents, we should be disciplining our children, right? Especially when they're young. And the Proverbs talks about how you need to discipline them betimes or basically uh, as early and as often as needed and consistently. So that they will learn discipline, they will grow up respecting their parents and obeying their parents. And hopefully, if you've done it right, by the time that they become teenagers, they don't need to be disciplined very often because they, they're they in the groove, so to speak, of, of just living to please their parents. Because they what? Because they love and respect and honor their parents. And so what does the primary motivator become? It becomes the love that they have for their parents. Therefore... Because they love him, they don't want to do bad. They don't want to disappoint their parents, etc. So I think this perfect love cast out fear, I think that is talking about the, the primary motivation. Certainly we're still going to have fear. Uh we, we have to fear God. We have to respect him, reverence him, be in awe of him and his power, and the fact that he will judge our souls. And uh we also have to have love for him as well. And I think that this is dealing with the primary motivation. Motivation of love for him uh, as we grow as Christians. Verse number 19, we love him because he first loved us. And that is such a a simple verse, such a powerful verse. It's just a short verse, but a powerful verse, a good synopsis of the gospel message. And we ought to be motivated by that as everyday Christians because we don't deserve, again, what he did for us. Uh, we didn't earn what He did for us, and uh, we need to always remember that in humility, and again in love for God, because He first loved us. John three sixteen For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting everlasting life. Finally, as we wrap up this chapter, chapter four, we're going to look at verses twenty and twenty one. And this I've I've titled this "Imposters." To the faith. Verse number 20 If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? This is a harsh truth here, but if you ever hear your own thoughts or you ever utter the words, I hate so and so. You're in trouble. You better repent of that. Let me just say this. I, I hear a lot of people flippantly saying things like that. Well, I hate so-and-so. I, I just hate them. I can't stand them. And a lot of times when I've heard people say that, and I've heard Christians say that, I don't think that they really mean that they actually hate them. Maybe they do. But I think a lot of times they just say it flippantly, and they're just kind of frustrated with so-and-so uh, in the moment, and so they'll say that. Well, I hate them. But when we read what we just read in 1 John 4, verse 20, again, I'll read it again. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? When we read that, I can't help but but say love, lovingly but, firming, but firmly, God's not going to take kindly to this on the judgment day. Uh, Whether we we mean it when we say it or we're saying it flippantly. Either way, we don't need to be saying we hate people. So that's kind of a side note, but that's an important one. Again, I've heard Christians say this before. We don't need to be saying that. So if you've been saying that, cut it out, right? Don't say that anymore. All right, finally, verse number 21. And this commandment we have from him that he who loves God must love his brother also. So God gave us a commandment to love one another He who loves God must, that's an imperative, love his brother also. Don't forget John 13, 35, Jesus said, they will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. So as we look at our lives and we need to ask ourselves some questions, do we love God? Do we love others? We also need to ask ourselves this, what is our primary motivation for being a Christian? Fear? Well, that's a part of it. Uh, A very big part of it, especially initially, but also love should be a motivation. And I would say as we grow, probably the primary motivation uh, should be love that we have for God and love that we have for one another. So let's work toward that. Um, If fear, and we need to be honest, you know, if fear is our primary motivator, I think that's fine early on. And uh, we're getting there, but we need to work towards perfecting our love for God and the casting out of fear that we looked at, making that our primary motivator so that we can one day be with God, who we love uh, forever and ever. Appreciate you for tuning in to the Everyday Christian podcast this week. Lord willing, next week we will get into First John chapter 5. Thank you so much for listening to this episode on the Scattered Abroad Network. We are grateful for your continued support as well as your continued prayers. If you would like to find out more about our network, please visit our website at scatteredabroad.org. We look forward to studying with you again soon. May God bless you.